We're starting at five, four, three, two. You know what I realize sometimes? That we, we start to think of this show, this podcast, almost too much, or at least I do. And I think I might have texted you this before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the the podgram. But <laughs> it's... I start to think of it almost like a TV show and it, it sh- it's, it's not a TV show. It's talking more and talking through things. And I think because we have the ability and we have the stuff that we post on YouTube, I sometimes get wrapped up in trying to obviously not trying to look good. We can see that that's not, <laughs> not part of it, but that a beautiful man. Yes. Uh, beauty is in the eye, just in the eye of the storm. <laughs> and Sometimes I, I think about it in terms of uh, it, I, I like the fact that we have discussions and not always try to um, do really refined segments. I do think we have to find a way to end the show because we just stop talking and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like real conversation, right? You get you're it, done talking. You feel like it's over and you, you say goodbye. See you later. It, it is. And don't forget, I feel like there's a voyeuristic uh, I don't know if that applies the same way to to, to audio, but uh, that the audience is kind of feels like they're they're kind of like leaning over and listening to us talking at a two top bar stool, and, and less about like this curated uh, structured show, and rather just having conversations ebb and flow the way that they do, a little serious, a little joke, a little personal, a little national, a little niche, a little. You know, so I I think the way it bounces around sounds like a conversation and less like a super produced uh, segment. Obviously, we want to be I think we want to be structured, but not tight. Yeah, that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And I think uh, I just talked to Terry, who's been the overseer of all this stuff and the entire Alan Frank uh, project, Alan Parsons project. And by the um, way, I want to get Terry's address from you, too. I want to send him a night. Does he drink? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. I, I, I'm, he's going to have, have you a, met. He's got <laughs> well, he's going to he's got a child. He's going to have another one. So I'm sure he'll start <laughs> with two. Um, yeah, I would think uh, I think he'd booze up. But he talked to Stu and this is a little behind the scenes for everybody listening. I think it's uh it, it's. I think that's that's what's great about this is we are like half the show is behind the scenes. But Stu, who's going to be coming on and helping us with social media and stuff, he said he had a great uh, talk with them, and that was really great for Terry because Terry's been uh, overwhelmed by me and my lack of uh, ability to follow through on anything. So um, that's it's that's not just cool. Terry Frank. I mean, there's several people in line to complain about you i'm like i'm like 16th yeah it's it's the the line is growing (laughs) um i got pictures of people trying to buy bread in russia uh in the soviet union the collapsed soviet (laughs) union that's the lines i was there at gas stations in the 70s very similar um so uh that's a little uh, behind the scenes kind of thing and our social media will be getting stronger and stronger now with some direction behind it uh which i'm looking forward to because that's going to be a big thing with getting um input from the listeners and we've had some here and there and we want to we want to accelerate that and and grow that quickly because that's that's a lot of what this is. We want to know what other people are thinking. It's not just about us and getting other perspectives, I think, is pretty important. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, we everybody has their lane. And I think you and I can pontificate about a, a number of different subjects. But I think that having people that have in some ways dedicated their lives to certain things, whether they be uh, an oncologist that's trying to cure, uh, you know, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or somebody that is completely versed in the DC universe. I think having people that know what the F they're talking about is fascinating. Fascinating. Yes. Yeah, because we can learn. That's the whole point of the show is us learning too. So let's... Uh... If, unless you have something else to add to that, we should start the show. Put the put a no, logo I got, up. I got some questions for you. Hold on, put so. the we got we got to have kill some time while the logo goes up and a song plays because we just went into it, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to start the show before the show. It's like a tease that leads into the Friends um, theme song. 
Okay, I lost you with friends. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, yes. No <laughs> black person has ever seen friends. <laughs> I've never met one black person that's seen friends. Not not one? Come not on. Not one. Nice Frank, I swear I know black people like we are a very diverse and eclectic people. It's like, you know, you don't want to paint all black people with a brush because that's you know, obviously we're joking, but uh honestly, I would say that I know a lot of people. I have never, ever, ever met one black person that is versed in friends ever well let me uh, i realized this that was almost so i i i'd never i'm 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 not even trying to self-edit here i just i opened for earthquake years ago yeah in um uh in nashville and it was an all-black audience i'd never performed for an all-black audience i was i i didn't know what to I, I I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know. I just didn't know where I would um, cross because all my stuff is pop culture. And when I when I started thinking through it, a lot of it was just suburban white <laughs> pop culture. It wasn't <laughs> real pop culture. It was just my little segment of the the world. And I got up there and I did some Seinfeld. I'm like, what is going on? And it's like, nobody's laughing. Nobody's getting this. <laughs> Nobody cares. And then I did Chris Rock and people started to go crazy. It was like, I can't believe that guy is get, Chris Rock's voice is coming out of that guy's mouth. And it was that kind of thing that really it got me going to realize there there was a uh, much more that I had to do to to hit a broader audience. And I started working on on that as well, right? And and from the perspective of of a black person in the United States, you know, when we ought to be entertained, I think that uh, if you think about just math, you know, you and I can just kind of remove the emotion and just talk about just math. Uh, black people are what maybe fourteen percent of the population. So just in general, almost because of the way things work, because you want to reach the the most people that you can. Uh, a lot of the stuff is directed towards the majority of the people so you can sell the majority of things. So, uh, and those things will be obviously geared towards white people. White people are the uh, I, I guess you guys are still the majority. I think Mexicans are coming up hard. Uh, <laughs> see, see you that's that's see you one way to look at it. That was <laughs> that Trump. Well, that, Trump is always easy to come in and somehow in the real world, sometimes I can make things difficult in this podcast. I make them funny. <laughs> you do. You're gonna make me. You're gonna make me a trumper. <laughs> but yeah, the like black people like when people talk about stuff they know, and, and the oh, fact yeah. that you, the fact that you did Chris Rock, could you connected with them? Like, see, you and I also enjoy this thing, and this this thing in this case is a human being. But no, and you don't have to be condescending. Like, what's up? Who likes hip hop? Oh. But just. You know, but yeah, I know you would never. I could. But it's, I, it's, could. I, I know people like that. I used to do these, ref these basketball games at this place that I worked at. And there's one guy, he'd be like, yo, 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 what's up? And I'm going, no, that's not even it. That's wrong. That's condescending to try. Like, right. Uh, every, uh, like, don't, don't just be yourself. You'll be more respected. You might get made fun of for being uber white. But take it and and live with it, because that's who you are. Don't try to be someone different. Uh, I, that's my opinion, and it sounds like you're in on the same wave, right? With and, that. and it goes both ways because I, it does frustrate me. And you don't hear it as much as in as much now, but like in the early two thousands, it would just be every white guy on stage would be like, "Hi, how you doing? I'm a white guy, and I live where I drive a Saab." And I'm like, I know a lot of white guys; they don't talk like that. And when you talk the way I know that a lot of my white friends talk or you talk the way a lot of my black friends talk, it makes it draws me in closer because I know that you're not not just trying to to use some like cheap ploy to get like, oh, I have an Asian friend and he's like me so sorry. It's like, dude, Jeez. stop. Stop it. You know, like this doesn't, my, my friend Gary does not talk like that. So knock it off. <laughs> That's so bad. And Frank, let me ask you this, because I've had this thought for a while, man. I believe, and this may be the first controversial thing oh. that we really talk about, all right. is that all white people should be enslaved. No, um, I feel like... Uh, that was for YouTube right there. That, <laughs> that's the promo. Yes. <laughs> I feel like there are... I've seen a number of Asian comics 
impersonate their parents or family members that may genuinely talk the way that they are impersonating that they talk. But there has to be something in your head where you know that the audience is laughing for the wrong reason. And I would love to talk to an Asian American comic. Maybe we can have one on uh, because when they impersonate their mother or their grandmother, it very well may talk like that. But if I do, and, and, and maybe this is the question I want to ask you, Frank, to kick things off. If you had a part in your show that was a guaranteed laugh, no matter where you are, USO, black room, white room, college campus, this joke just always killed. But there was something in your gut that told you the laugh is coming from the wrong place. Would you continue to do it? Even if, let's say it was a six minute chunk and guys, six minutes in your act in terms of like translating that, that to an hour is gold. I mean, to have a six minute chunk that you can just knock out, it's it's a big deal. So would you remove six or seven minutes of your act that you knew murdered because there was something in your gut that said, I think they're laughing for the wrong reasons. Yeah. I, yes. I, I, and I've had to because mm-hmm. I've, I've done different impressions uh, of different ethnicities and I, listen, I, I, I don't go, I, I don't try for that joke. I, and I don't want that joke, the easy joke. Right. And sometimes you can tell people are kind of like, I can't, I don't know if I could tell, but I get worried that people are taking it wrong and change it. If I, if I start to get that feeling, and I don't know if it's because it is wrong or if it feels wrong, or if I just don't want to have to deal with repercussions on it. Um, because I don't want to take the chance because that's not what it's about. I think so much of that is about tone. Like what is, what is your tone in having fun? You might say making fun of someone, but let's, let's go, let's go back a step here because accents are always interesting to me. And I want to get your 100% perspective on this. All right. Did I lose you? So after another, uh, that that's the, uh, that's the good Lord letting me know I'm not supposed to be talking about this. That's right. All right. So I wanted to backtrack for a second. Is that where we were at? Yes. You said, let's take a step back. Uh, let's take a step back and just l- l- talk about accents for a second. Um, because we tend to, this is one of those things where, and I, I, I want to talk about this for purpose of discussion, not because I think I'm right or I, or because I think I know, but we tie accents directly to people and what people look like, right? Would you say yes? Definitely. All right. So what if, because of what you were talking about, what if you're, uh, let's say I'm a white person. I grow up in an Asian country. I have an Asian accent and I'm a grandparent. Okay. And somebody now a white comic talks about my white grandparent who's, grown up at, with an Asian accent their entire life. Am I making fun of people? Am I making fun of that person? What do, do you see how that changes slightly? Or I, am I crazy? No, no, no. That, and, I, and I didn't think about that. I mean, it does change things when you make things more personal. The difference is your grandchild would be probably white. Mm-hmm. And so if you're this Asian grandfather with an, uh, this white grandfather with an Asian accent, uh, I think that it would be more, it'd be easier to get away with it. But I think where we are today, I don't know if you could. Well, even, right. and I, the way that people, even the, but even the phrasing you said there, get away with it. That's how everybody thinks about it in terms of what you're doing. They don't think of, Hey, this is your family story. This is how the person talks. And it's weird, and it it also seems to be tied into complexion and skin color a lot, or uh, people who are have been either oppressed or treated poorly uh, by other groups. I don't. Do you hear any real problems to, with anybody doing an Irish accent or a French accent? I don't ever really. I don't hear any groups, and maybe there are. I remember people when The Sopranos came on. And people, there were like groups saying Italians aren't all like that. And I'm thinking, right. I'm Italian and you can tie someone in my family into acting just like that. <laughs> so they're there, but whether you, you know, 
you don't whether you like it or not it's not a now you can't generalize that all people this is about like, kind of like that Brokaw discussion we had or part of it at least when he said something he made a blanket statement and people seem to think in broad generalities and i think that's the difficult thing with the pc culture is that you think we're talking about all people at that time and we're just not because everybody's individual and i know i've gotten away from a lit- uh, what you were saying but i wanted to have that no, background have. On, it, on it at first yeah and, and i mean i think the difference between an italian accent and maybe an asian accent is italians haven't been marginalized in the same way that uh asians have obviously they're mocked uh because of their their the shape of their eyelids and because you know uh, the 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 r and l thing and just in general but the r and l thing is not it's a part of the language right because they don't use those the sounds it's not because of a genetic thing i i just i'm just asking questions here to try and because right i try to figure this stuff out too and I, I don't and I, I I'm going with my own act and everything I go the same way that you're saying is I'm like I don't want to put it out there and do something because I don't want people to one be laughing for the wrong reason and think that that's where I'm going with it and two I, I don't want it to be the the laugh you know I don't want that Definitely. to be what it, it is dirty. and it the way dirty. I thought of yeah it, it's uh it's it you know this it sounds exhausting to think that this would be a case by case basis, but I mean, it would, if you set yourself up, do you, uh, do you remember the comedian, Andrew Kennedy? I'm acting like he's passed away. Uh, uh he had like a really unique story. I think his dad was British and his mom was Asian and didn't speak a lick of English. And they met and it, he, I haven't worked with him. And I mean, I worked with him two years into my career. Uh, I think he does a lot of corporates now, but it was a fascinating story. His dad, the, the way he impersonated his dad was funny and the way that he impersonated his mom was funny. But I think to the audience, because it was so personal to him and he, he established that upfront that it was so personal to him that he, got in in and in this is a weird word to say he got a pass he's going to get away with it because you can tell this is authentic experience but i think if i tried to do a joke where i was like man i woke up in the morning i was in the bed with three girls one was asian she was like and one was african she said and this it's like first of all people like that didn't happen second of all now you're using the most and you're going to lose people because it's then it sounds like you're just telling a story just so you could sprinkle in your what you really want to get to, which is making fun of the way these people talk, as opposed to if I if you as a white guy came on and said, what's up, guys, this is my first show back in the States. I I was an expat living in Kenya for 14 years. And this was my experience. Once you establish that, a couple jokes, a couple jokes. My favorite guy, there was a guy named Harry. He worked at a local store. And every time I walked in after you've set it up. Yes. And you've established to the audience. I don't think you would get any pushback well the part of their part of what you're doing there is context and if you're talking about being in a different country where they talk a certain way and you're the outsider now you've put them more in the position of power and you're the goofy one right if i'm right. in kenya point. and i am just this outsider and i can't assimilate uh well enough and I, I, maybe i don't want to like we talked about before and i'm i'm the goofy outsider there and now i'm the one who's not in the the power position so to speak and the joke isn't really on them if you do it properly it's on yourself and right. that's the tone i think that's important to what the whole concept of getting the laugh on that so i have some friends that i play table tennis with and they're all in that bragging there's four, three or three or four Indian guys from uh, families originally from India came over here and they all of them at one point kind of huddled together almost and said, how come you don't do an Asian ac- or how come you don't do uh, an Indian accent? And I and they're like, we would love to see that. And I then broke out with thank you so much. I've been harboring this for such a long time. And they, (laughs) they, they went crazy for it because it wasn't an over the top. And it was like me just being goofy and silly. And listen, I'd even had conversation with these guys. I'm like, man, the way Indian people 
are portrayed in movies and stuff is always super serious. Maybe the bad guy or something or, or, um, you know, third world country kind of thing or, or the guy who's fixing the tech. And they're always very, (laughs) almost always serious. And these guys joked around all the time. It was another one of those enlightening moments when you're around other people and you, you get to, you see the differences and it's funny that we're different. That's what I find to be so interesting, the differences and laughing about differences, as long as you're not hurtful, that I think is, I, I know it doesn't work in the media and it doesn't work at times uh, in crowds or whatever, but it's so important that if you're going, if you're doing it for the, the right reason, which is how, how do we get along better? I don't see a problem with it as long as you're not trying to marginalize or, or diminish the power or say a person is bad uh, or lesser than you. But again, that doesn't mean you can just do it because there's still a chance of repercussions because people aren't listening to the entire message you're giving. I, compl- I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, like I said, the, you, you brought up the C word, Frank, context. And we don't have time for context because context gets in the way of making a snap judgment. Um, When you look at things, uh, it just take, for example, uh, you know, what we saw at the nation's capital between the, the teenagers, the the white teenagers and the native American tribe. It's like, whatever, when you look, when that video started playing, whoever was watching it was already deciding, well, I'm, uh, I'm on this guy's side. So this is who I've been given to work with. So if you're not a Trump person, you're probably looking at Native American. You're seeing a sympathetic person who's uh, who's uh, been part of a genocide, uh, marginalized in this country, forced to live on reservations, uh, being a, U- a veteran being disrespected. If you're pro-Trump, you look and you just see a polite young man in high school. You see, you see your grandson or your son, and he's just standing there, and this guy's beating a drum in his face, and he's standing his ground. He's not being aggressive. He's not saying anything back. He just happens to have a smirk on his face. I don't see anything wrong with it. If anything, I see uh, fault in the in the man for walking up and invading his personal space. So it's like, so then people look at that. So they're like, this is, I'm team high school student. Right. I'm team Native American. But how many people actually took the time to do the actual research that was out there in terms of the elongated, I think there was like a two hour video, which I ain't watching. I ain't watching that. Right. You know, and you know the the let read five articles written on each side about it. Maybe a couple articles written from uh, maybe even a paper outside of the country that probably has less bias uh, than any paper would have here. How many people have the time to do that? That time is a luxury, and most people don't have that. So they look, they're like, uh, "White kid Let being a fourteen seconds Native American beat." Yeah, right. Let me see fourteen <laughs> seconds, and then I'm gonna go on the internet and start typing in all caps. <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, so that so that's yeah, so that's it. The, so I think the the truth is to that, right? There were positive, there there were okay, there were uh, rights that each person had. There were things, there were ways each person could have done things differently. It was a very complex situation. It wasn't simple, and I would say, in in some ways, neither person was right, neither person was wrong. When you look at it, depending on the perspective you're looking at it from, that's always that thing I say is like. I'm talking to you over there. No, I'm talking to you from here. And like, no, it's we're we're saying kind of the same thing from different perspectives. And I, I I don't I don't take sides when I watch anything anymore. I mean, I think I used to, and I think I switched over. I think I used to take um, what would be probably closer to a conservative kind of look, and then I took more of a liberal kind of look just depending on where I was in my life. And I've swayed mm-hmm. back and forth on all kinds of things. Cause I almost have that ebb and flow of, of myself of going, wow, things seem to be going pretty far, right? That's way more right than I would want to be. And then I go, now they're getting a little far left of me. And I, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest. I go down South in the Southeast of the country. I, I'm, I'd consider myself very liberal. I go to the yeah. I go to the West Coast. I'm very I'm, I'm medium conservative to that, and it's like, and I'm the same person I was in both places. Um, right. There was a great discussion. I I uh, I would uh, suggest you take a look at it on uh, Whitlock and Wiley today, 
and uh, this will be have been yesterday when people are hearing this when it comes out. Um, and I don't know what that just was. Oh, oh, Windows update that came through. Did you hear that through my head? No. Oh, okay. So I'm just hearing things. That's fine. Um, That's how it starts, Frank. Right. <laughs> Uh, so on uh, Speak for Yourself with Jason Whitlock and Marcellus Wiley, they had a, a panel of four people on today. Um, TJ Hushmanzada was one, a uh, former NFL receiver, and then also uh, Greg Jennings. And it, was, it started out with Whitlock had his Whitlog, which is what he does at the very beginning. Um, uh, he, he goes on a, um, a monologue. He has a monologue, sometimes almost a diatribe, but from a very interesting perspective. And his was about the Patriots and how white the Patriots are considered and why some people might not like them. And he got into that. But then they got into this whole discussion about the NFL and white and black and uh, um, uh, the um, skilled positions and talking about things that I've never heard talked about hmm. before openly. And I, it was like it was what for African-American men for black men. And they even they were saying, you know, they were not sure if they should say African-American. It was interesting to watch because they, they, right. they were navigating because they wanted to be they didn't want to be controversial. They just wanted to address an elephant in the room. And it was so well done. Everything they talked about, they made points on all the different sides. And for anybody, I, I don't know if uh, uh, and I texted Jason and I, uh, I'm going to see if he gets back to me. I don't know. And I wouldn't I wouldn't want this if four white people could have that discussion, but it's such a, it's such a great reason that diversity on television is important because that's a, it was just an incredible discussion. Listen, to these guys talk about, well, when you see a cornerback, you know, he's going to look like this and you know, but when they don't, when the guy doesn't now it's, you go, things are changing. Maybe not. And it, just the way they all navigated through it. I was like, this is just a brilliant discussion. I've never heard this. It's so fantastic, and it's it's it was real, and everybody was coming from honesty, and that's all you can ask for in something like that. And I think if they get any backlash on it, which who knows? I don't know if they if they would. I'm sure somebody. I don't think it would be from the left you side. You don't think the internet would have anything negative to say, do you? No, I I, I can't I can't fathom that. <laughs> I can't fathom them taking to use your type of vocabulary. I can't fathom them taking the opportunity. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'll tell you, this is somebody that's worked alongside uh, female co-hosts uh, for almost two years now. I've learned a lot in terms of, you know, we were talking about the black white perspective in terms of skill positions in sports and hearing hearing it from different perspectives and what guys feel like when there's a look. Everybody notices when there's a white running back in the game. Yeah. It couldn't be our white cornerback. You're like, hey, what's up? You know, just because it's an oddity. Yeah. It's you just don't see it often. I mean, you're going to in in that case, it is the circus freak. It is the the main attraction. Uh, Jason C. There's a reason we remember Jason Seahorn. Right. You know, it's like mm -hmm. he, he was a white cornerback. And really, I think one of the only two I know Eric Weddle plays free safety, but they're very few uh, working. But back to my point, working alongside women. There are things that I've learned from them that I could not have learned for as much as I had read or but just like in terms of like body shaming. When um, there was an ad we talked about last week and it was a um, some kind of like some kind of ointment that you put on your cellulite. And it, it basically the ad was ladies dimples are cute on your cheeks, not on your butt, not on your thigh. Mm -hmm. And I just saw it as. They're trying to be funny to get you to stop, to notice this product, and then go out and buy said product. Sitting next to my female co-host, they talked about how since they were six years old, they've been looking at magazines and then looking at their thighs, looking at models and looking at their chest, looking at it's movie star, female movie stars, and then looking at their arm fat and not feeling good enough. So I realized when I look at that ad and they look at that ad, they see something totally different. And I think that's okay because, again, it's context and perspective. I'm a dude. I'm like, hey, little cellulite's great. I like a curvy woman. But to them, they've seen it as being shamed and feeling, feeling like crap 
right. for their entire life. And it's things that you and I never, you know, if, if I saw you and I was like, hey, Frank, packing on the pounds here. What's up, buddy? Let's get the gym. We would laugh and keep it moving. But I think women I have would that cry. Set. I would cry. I would shed a tear. Well, you go into the bathroom like a man and turn the faucet on and cry. <laughs> yes. So, no, but yeah, yeah there would be learn. a different reaction. Yeah, overall. Yeah, there was a. I mean, but we've done that in society too, though, haven't we? It's you can't make those like you can make those comments to guys. You can't make those. I I, I don't know. It's that weird thing where I, I still I do know that, and not everybody is is this way. But in on in general and generalizing. Most of the guys I know are wired pretty much like whatever, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, who cares? And most of the women I know, and this isn't everyone, I would be like, how could you say that to me? And it's even they wouldn't say that. They just think that and not talk to you for a while. That, right. That the women I know. Now, that might not be and might not even be all of them. I'm, I, again, I'm backtracking here because I'm just trying to make a, a general point, not uh, singular points here because everybody's different. Um, but. Look at look at how careful I have to even talk about that right there. I, I'm not trying to say everybody is one thing, and I don't want to say that. Right. And I don't. I wouldn't apologize because I truly believe what I'm saying, but I also know that it's not 100% foolproof in what I'm thinking or seeing. And it's it's just an observation based on a small group, and I'm not trying to tell everybody that's what they should be. But beauty in this society. I mean, it would be, it would be, it would even be different if all those ads and stuff with the women weren't all photoshopped because nobody's, they lengthen right. torsos, they change everything to look perfect. And I, I mean, I've had it done to me and in, in, on shows and I have no problem with it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, you know, I would do a show on the WB years ago and all of a sudden I look like two inches taller and thinner. I was like, Fine. Let let them be disappointed when they meet me. I'm I'm good about that. But yeah, I, I for me, I get it. I understand when somebody tells you what what you're supposed to look like and what it's not even realistic. That's yeah. that, that's pretty difficult. I mean, it's just growing up with that. I mean, you think about the way we the way larger women are shamed at the beach. I mean, if you're a fat guy at the pool, you can be the king of that pool. You can have a lot of personality. <laughs> you come out with your big gut hanging out with a, a six pack in, in each hand and a, and a beer funnel. There will be, you will have girls over on your shoulders playing, playing chicken. It'll be, you can be still be the fun interactive big guy the fun big loving the, the big guy people. And there's a chance on. and there's a chance you do a really big belly flop. Yeah, big belly flop. Everybody's laughing. Hey, it's big Frank's here, everybody. Yay! <laughs> you know, but if you are a large woman rolling up to that same pool in a bikini, which is covering more of your breast area than this big guy who also has breasts, you will be shamed and ostracized and snickered at by both men and women. And you take that and you extrapolate that outwards. And I think that's how women feel about their bodies. They feel like they don't get the, you look at like, we love, I love a big fat running back. I like a running back with a gut. We all love John Crook, big fat guy that can pitch. CC Sabathia is a house pitching, you know, and these guys are professional athletes. No one has ever fashioned these people ever, unless they did it first. Um, you know, but women just don't get that same, get that, get that same pass. And I didn't realize that until I talked with women every day for two years. And that's how long it took for two years. It needed to be hammered in my head. I was like, Oh, Oh, you didn't like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the strange thing to, to, to come, you know, come to fruition uh, halfway through your life, but at least I got it. Yeah. I mean, it, but we don't realize everything. We don't listen. I, I, I at a certain age, I just started worrying more about what people think around me, not even of what I'm doing, but just how people think. And that's just where I've just decided to go from and look at things from that vantage point. And I might not even always get it right, but at least I'm making an effort. I think that's the thing is you make the effort. The problem is you, a lot of people make the effort. They still make a mistake and then everybody piles on them. If you are trying your hardest 
to let's say it's a, a transgender situation and you you make a mistake and you say a he instead of a she or you um you you, you pick one or let's say it's non-binary and you don't use a they and you're not trying to 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 cause a, a problem but you know and you're like immediately sorry you're trying you're making the effort this is new to you it it's to me the people that don't want to make an effort and don't care that's the people that listen you don't have to destroy them but you can let them know you don't love that where they're coming from i guess right. i'd rather just walk away i was always taught and maybe this isn't right and this is uh, but i was thought if somebody if you don't like what somebody's saying just walk away it diffuses it all you don't have to care about them ever again and that's what we used to do right somebody used to do something terrible and you just my parents would say just forget about it just walk away you don't need to be in. And now what do we do? We we go back and forth and start fights and troll each other. And it, it builds. And then other people pile on. And then you gain teams. Team this versus team that. And it all it all used to be that simple as you just sticks and stones, walk away. And you don't deal. You don't have to deal with it anymore. And I would never. I for people who would make me mad or say something terrible to me, it's like I don't I don't want to talk to you. And I wouldn't even say that. I just would not talk to them. And that's a you can't fix or change so many people they're not if they're doing that maybe if you you give it one chance and if you see that it's them laughing at you more or laughing at your attempt to change it you're like okay i i get it we're just different people on different wavelengths and it's never going to happen so see you later well but said sir i mean there's I, I, in terms of i said this to a friend of mine too i said i don't like protests he loves protests he thinks protests are great i'm like i uh, that's it's great for the people that you in that are on the same wavelength as you and i get it but all the people that don't like protests they're just going ah oh, more protesting so you might win some people over and you might draw some attention but realize you're going to get that backlash in the people that don't like it i again i try to take that non-judgment thing i go i get it Good for you. The protest. Um, I'm talking like outside the Capitol or something like that. Right. It's uh, for me. I, I, I mean, you can even take it to the to the national anthem thing with Colin Kaepernick. And I don't I don't want to bring up things that have been gone for uh, not even gone for a while, but they're not talked about in the media because it doesn't seem it's just so odd how things come in and go out. But I, I think some of it could be solved with it just. And I, again, I have, I believe that people have rights to do whatever they want and, um, and do things they believe in. I get it. Um, the league's also a business, so there's conflicting things going on at, in terms of that, but why not have the networks? If you can't get the attention that you desire for an important reason, why don't the networks open up and just do press conferences for people? I mean, because yeah. the networks aren't going to do that because then it's going to be on them. Because right then, right now, they could always, do, you know, blame the league. All you have to do is say, well, why don't we give you five minutes before the game or after the game, and you can talk, and you can talk about why. And it's not just a protest. Now we can actually hear your feelings, which I think is important. And and it would that would do more for me as a person listening and watching, going, oh, geez, look look how personal this is to this person, as opposed to. Uh, seeing something from kind of far away and making judgments on that either way. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. I think what you're going to run into a lot is people use sports as an escape. Yeah. And they always, you know, people always say, well, I don't want to talk race. I just want to watch uh, the Buccaneers play the Falcons. But unfortunately, fortunately, however you want to look at it, we can never escape race because it's right there. I mean, it's a lot always of the part thing, of it. Every day of your life, you're every living. single day, it's yeah. a, it's a thing. It's a thing, and we can just admit it's a thing and and carry on and and try and make a less of a thing. But it's always going to be a thing. Um, so there's just going to be some people. Well, I think if somebody was like, we're going to have a five minute conversation with Malcolm Jenkins before the start of the Eagles game. Uh, I think. People like you would tune in, mm -hmm. listen, and then sit back and watch the game. Uh, and I think a lot of people would either watch it, hate watch it, mm -hmm. yes, and definitely. tweet about it, and other people just wouldn't watch it at all. 
And those are the same people that would uh, go on social media. And if somebody had a post about how they felt that like they were discriminated against, uh, they would read it completely, make a comment, ask a question. There are people that would read that same post, say that you're being reverse racist and there is no racism, there's no white privilege, and send that. And there's other people that would either block it or mute that person because they don't want to hear it. So I think that that people are already in their camps in terms of what they're trying to take in and what they're not. The people yeah. that are pro Kaepernick are always going to be pro Kaepernick and cheer him until, uh, you know, and until the, you, you know, in perpetuity. And I think the people that hate Colin Kaepernick are going to do that uh, in perpetuity. And I think the, the people that just want to watch the game, some people are like, yeah. look, dude, I'm a roofer in Florida. And I'm on a roof for 11 hours a day. I don't give an S about kneeling. I don't give an S about police brutality. I don't want people to be brutalized. I I genuinely just don't care. I just need to have a beer because I'm going to be back on that roof in 18 hours and I need to take a break. And I don't know if that's a bad stance. Right. If that's your opinion, you're saying I'm not anti-Colin Kaepernick. I'm not pro-Colin Kaepernick. I have three kids. I have a, a husband or wife that's up my butt. I have a boss that is trying, looking for a, a reason to fire me. These are the eight hours I get a week to have 14 beers, crack jokes with my goofy next door neighbor, and watch football, which only happens 16 weeks a year. I don't want to talk about Colin Kaepernick, and that's fair too. Yeah, but how do you? The problem is how do you, how does everybody? And I don't mean the problem in terms of the difficulty is not everybody's going to all going to be happy in the end, and you just have to realize that you might not be you might be in the group that isn't happy, and that's just life. And then I get it. I don't think it's that hard. Listen, I this is a tough one because I. I shouldn't even have brought it up because now I got myself in the, but I've actually talked about this a little bit on the radio before, but listen, and the, and the people who are in the, in the armed forces and stuff that say, Hey, we, we fought for the chance for you to kneel. Uh, if you, if that's in protest there, we get it, but there are others who don't. And everybody feels differently. People try to make groups out of that. And it's not all uh, like when they say, well, Colin Kaepernick, uh, Colin Kaepernick asked this one person or these couple people. And they said, yeah, go ahead. The kneeling is the way, but to somebody else that might not be. And that's, that's the thing is we do tend to take opinions, especially opinions that, and, and I would too, uh, I shouldn't say too. I would in this situation, I would look for the opinion that hopefully would get me the answer <laughs> I wanted and go, I, well, I talked to this person and not, not mischievously, not uh, diabolically, just because, Hey, I, I, there is some affirmation there. I think I'm doing something that's right. That's good. That's important. And if you don't see it that way, okay, I'm willing to take my lumps on that. Um, but you know, we, everybody sees things differently and you're, you're going to have to like, we'll, we'll get some stuff on this. And I don't think I've taken a stance on anything and somebody might get mad at me for taking a, not taking a stance. And I like, well, okay. That, so thing, you, and, and that kind of leads me, uh, I don't want to cut you off, but you're leading me right into a question that I had for you about the Super Bowl, And it, it involves the topic that uh, you and I tweet about what four or five times a day, maroon five. Um, <laughs> In, you know, um, they uh, have been rehearsing, uh, I wouldn't say in secret, but kind of at a, they're not doing any uh, pre-Super Bowl interviews, uh, I'm assuming, because they don't want to answer any questions about the NFL. You remember that the NFL is having trouble finding acts to perform at the Super Bowl, especially African-American acts. Um, Maroon 5 was asked. It seems like they said yes a long time ago but did not announce it until recently because they knew the blowback that would that they would get from performing at the NFL. And my thoughts on this and then I want to get your opinion is Maroon 5 or anybody. Let's say it was me or let, let's say it was me because I'm black. If it comes across the news, breaking news, Goodell and the NFL offer Al Jackson a 7-minute set at the Super Bowl. I'm I'm a dead man, Frank, because if I do that gig, 
the pushback from the black community is going to forever affect my career. Right. But if I kill for that seven minutes, again, like we talked about percentages, what is this country? 55, 60% white. Don't quote me on that, but something around there. Um, I would gain a lot of new fans. I would be a rich man. Uh, can I, I would can be I, a rich man. Can I ask a question? Why is everybody else, and I, this is my, my question, why is everybody else allowed to do a job at the Super Bowl except for halftime? Is that an That's, odd question? That, no, Frank. That is the perfect question. That is the question. When Maroon 5 or Al Jackson is asked to do the Super Bowl, once your name's associated with it, you are now in, in, in the targets of two warring factions. If Al Jackson does that gig, I'm going to get murdered on social media. I'm going to get pushback. I'll get lambasted. I'll get, hey, you're a sellout. You're cooning, all that kind of stuff on the internet. If I don't do it, I will be beloved by the black community. But mainstream America, especially in conservative areas, even though I've said nothing, well, I, I will get death threats uh, for sure. You get death threats going nine and two at Ohio State. So I'm definitely going to get death threats. Uh, and I'm going to be called unpatriotic. So I, I'm asking you, do you think Maroon 5 did the right thing? Because I think they did. If the kneeling protest isn't their issue, why can't they sing their goofy four songs and get off stage? And could they have a message in there about something too? Could they, without saying blatantly something, it's like, where for, you know, could you find a way to, there are massive PR companies that do this for a living. Is there a way to, you know, without, uh, by, by just giving a positive message for everybody that, you you know you could you could form something much better than what I'm doing right now. Obviously, I need the PR person, but maybe there's a way in your stand-up set you could make uh, a point, or they could. I don't know. I think how do you? It's tough to tell somebody turn down the biggest thing you could ever do, and I don't think people realize that Frank. This is the freaking Super Bowl when they were a band trying to put it together in somebody's mom's garage this was a pipe dream and then the nfl calls and says hey are you guys ready to go are you just supposed to walk away from that and who did who did the super bowl last year i was there justin timberlake and but and there were still the same kind of protests and 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 uh situations last year but it right. became a thing this year so why was it fair is it why is it fair to people this year I, I as opposed to last year why did that become the way to make the point um it's timing is it, it, it and they, it, they it, people just create and put you in a in a hole it's very difficult what are you going to do i i would i do it i don't even i i probably would and then just take and then spend yeah. the rest of my life telling people or trying to say do messages or do interviews afterward and then give the message afterward about people i i don't know i don't think it's fair to people i don't even like maroon five it's i to me that's such a difficult situation i don't think it has they have anything to do with it all the you know if you really want to make that point I just feel like nobody can do it. The hot dog vendor can't go there. The This person can't. Pe people shouldn't even go then. By going to the Super Bowl or watching the Super Bowl, you're doing the same thing then, aren't you? It's just, yeah. It's, I mean, you're patronizing. You're, you're, you're patronizing something that you're supposedly against. But, I mean, I thought about it because I was like, I'm not going to watch the NFL this year. But I was like, I have friends that play in the NFL. Uh, the NFL is, is – uh, a large, largely African-American league. Like, do I want to not patronize this because I don't like the ownership? I don't know. I would say that a lot of people probably patronize things and they don't know the, what the ownership's views are at all. When, you why, don't, can't you don't they, know. why can't we find, why can't we create a couple new teams that are designed to have diverse ownership? Why is that so, is that that hard to do? Is it? It's because wealth is consolidated in this country. Everything was bought and paid for a long time ago, and that's why you just find you just look and you go, 
why the hell does that 39 year old have six billion dollars? Right. You know, I mean, it's like there there's the, the and I learned this going to school at Brown uh, when I went to Brown my junior year of high school uh, of high school of college. I just realized how many legacy kids were there, how many people I remember when I got to my chemistry class. I was so blown away. I was coming from a small black school in Mississippi and we actually used the same chemistry book that we did at Brown. And I looked at my textbook and I looked at the professor and the professor had written the textbook that we were using. (laughs) Uh, And the advantages that people of of means have in terms of consolidating wealth, it's impregnable. The, The money's just there. It can't be moved. No, no nephew with a Coke problem can possibly go through all that money. That money is just there forever. Right. And so I think it leaves the rest of us to kind of scramble for what for the the piddlings that are left, and uh, and, and it's and it creates tension. But do you think it's a zero sum because they've made all that money? They that there's that money's taken from everybody else. I think there's constantly new money coming in in terms of I mean there was old money you know the guys that invented the railroads and the guy that invented the swivel chair there was that kind of money. And then there were guys that uh, started up pets.com and guys that started Lyft. So then there there was new money there. Uh, But I think unless it's innovative, I think, you know, you're going to get some real estate mogul every once in a while. This will sneak through and make a ton of money. But again, everything in this country is pretty much bought and paid for uh, long before you got here. Money is passed down throughout family members. Is that wrong? Real estate is passed down. I've I've gone places. I've done almost the same thing. I've driven past like mega neighborhoods and I live in a yes. very nice neighborhood, but I've, I've gone, how are there this many people that are this rich? And this is just a small pocket. I go, well, how does that, it, where is that? Yeah. And it's like, then you have to ask yourself, is everybody in, in those houses, extraordinary human beings? <laughs> are they extraordinary? Are they like, yeah, I'm a heart surgeon, but I also uh, am a certified uh, scuba diver. I work on the Great Barrier Reef in my off time. And then when I'm not doing that, I do Doctors Without Borders in uh, in the Sudan. Are there a lot of people like that in those houses? No. It's a guy that took over his dad's uh, roofing business that had expanded to 24. It could be, but I think you're making an assumption. I mean, maybe. I think, you, I think you're right. It could be, but there are... I don't know. I, I shouldn't how, even how say. Many, how many? How many truly exceptional people do you, do you know? We're in entertainment, so I think that, and, and without trying to sound like a smug douche, uh, we are around people that made it. You were a, a guy from your town that went up on stage, and Frank, you freaking made it, dude. And we did well. Uh, enough. Yeah, we've we've been lucky. Uh, but it, it, and so we are lucky enough to meet other people that have kind of come out of nowhere and had a scratch and claw. And now all of a sudden they go from like doing jujitsu tournaments and now they're Joe Rogan and you're getting a million downloads in five hours. Right. So there are people you will. We do have an opportunity to meet more incredible people. But I would say how I would ask any listener, how many people do you know that are truly incredible? Because we all know somebody you have an uncle that's got a photographic memory or, or your mom is just, just this all encompassing being that's smart, funny, fashionable, can cook, educated, loving, just these incredible fully formed people. Right. But how many of those people do you know? It's gotta be less than a handful. Yeah. So there's, there aren't a ton of people, but I not, a, not, not enough to fill up that development is what I'm saying, Frank. Right, so those people yeah. must be, Average or a little bit highly average, but probably not so extraordinary. But remember, they, they can come they, from a lot of different places and go to that spot, too. I'm not I'm not totally throwing your argument out. I think, you know, I, like I, I think you could be right. I just don't know. And I, I, I that's one of those things. It's interesting because you have a, you have a direct perspective on that. You feel like this is. And and maybe I'm just wishy-washy and you're right. I, I don't know. I, there, It's amazing how many people you meet that are maybe not astonishing, incredible people, but more amazing than me. I meet a lot of people more amazing than me 
as far as being people. I think of myself as being fairly selfish. I've tried to get better about that. Um, once I had kids, that cha- that changed me quite a bit. Um, but I, I never I, describe I, you as selfish. What, what what behaviors? And please don't. I like where you're going. What what do you think? What were some of your what the main selfish thing that you would do that you tried to fix once you became a father? Uh, well, I just try to think of things from other people's perspectives, even just in my head. It's just I try to think from somebody else's vantage point. How are they looking at this? Uh, rather than me just going, I'm going to do what I want to do. D- does that make sense? If, if you just, in terms of selfishness, I, I would at probably at one point in my life go, I'm just going to do this. I don't care what somebody says, what happens. To, and now I'm like, geez, this could really affect a lot of people. I'm always amazed at the, the super rich people that have the calls for um, we need higher taxes. Well, you didn't pay many taxes on the stuff you right. had originally, and now you want everybody to pay tax. And you're you're you've got. And I'm not for taking money from people. I'm not. I, we that's a different discussion. I'm not for confiscating or taking. I, I wouldn't want somebody uh, a more conservative person say, "You're advocating to take things away." No, I'm not. I'm not doing that at all because I do. I do like capitalism overall. I think you need morality in capitalism, and I think we get lost. Uh, the ethics and morality gets lost sometimes, which is fine. You can do. Do you think it's? Do you think it's counterintuitive to say that you can attach capitalism to with morality when really capitalism, the root word, is to capitalize off of? Yes, somebody because that's when it, that's when it works. Is uh, it's as opposed to you're taking. You might even take more than enough for yourself. You want you, you want to take care of yourself. You want to take care of generations if you can. Think about all these the, the NFL players. When you put it in a sports context, think about the guys who say, I want to take care of my family. I want to take care of all my friends. I want to take care of my kids, my, my kids' kids. I don't want anybody to have to. Then they're living in that neighborhood, right? They're right. just they're doing the same thing. Think about that from a different perspective in a different generation. LeBron James is going to be... A billion dollar, you know, made a billion dollars, be a billionaire before 40, probably. And he will he will be influential to so many people. And he is an amazing person. Um, so there are those people out there, but nobody in his family is ever going to have to worry about it again. But in terms of like, I just love when billionaires come out and say, pay, but we should all pay more taxes. Meanwhile, they're fighting to pay less taxes in court right. on something or fighting to not because they didn't pay a tax and saying they don't have to because people say a lot of things because it sounds good in the media and it makes people if you say that stuff then people don't attack you as much for having that money but at the same time you're protecting the money all the time i mean to me if i had six billion dollars why what why do i need let's say i'm happy with a billion do something all charity with the other five billion i you don't have to but i think at that point like i i I don't remember who i was talking to it might have been dave houston who's been on the show or even it might have been you i'm not sure but somebody said their their point is their point was well that's the only way i can keep score in life and I think you're doing wow. the wrong thing if that's and we all keep score in life in some way or another. And I think that's a anytime I worry about somebody else in entertainment and go, geez, they're, they're, how did they get that movie? And so I go, I'm worried about the wrong thing because I don't even live in L.A. First of all, I'm not doing these. Um, uh, I'm not going on auditions. I'm doing what I want to do. I have the family that I love. I'm, I've made decisions and I'm happy with these decisions. Why am I worried about another person? As soon as you start worrying about other people, which is what everybody does on social media, right? They worry about everybody else and what they're doing and get into the business. It becomes the, the, the world becomes a small town. And then you, then you start getting, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You start getting, uh, jealous, you start getting envious and then it builds and you start thinking, yes. how did, how but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to defend Frank against Frank because okay. I understand what you're saying in terms of not looking at another person that you consider an uh, equal in your profession and wondering why he or she got something and maybe you didn't. But I would make the argument that that same where, where whatever, whatever in your brain and in your spirit, and in your heart that that question was generated from 
also is the same, it comes from the same birth that drove you to get your butt on stage, to drive 800 miles to do a gig for 50 bucks, to finally get to where you are. I think that that it's hard to turn that off once you get comfortable. Not and comfortable in terms of, I don't think you and I will ever be comfortable. We'll always, we could be sitting on a pile of money. I'd be like, do you want to do the podcast? And he'd be like, yeah, this is what we love to do. So I, I but I think in terms of you, not not beating yourself up, but understanding why that you're looking at that person and saying, hey, why didn't, it's because you have the confidence in yourself to be like, you saw yes. somebody on stage, you're like, I can do that. And I so you that. see that person in that movie and you say, I can do that. I get that, but at the same time, I am not making that effort to, to go there and try that, so I have no say. If I were out there trying to do it more, but even so, you can't, I, I I found myself doing that when I was younger, going, how did that person get that? And you hear people go, how'd they get that? And you go, well, don't worry about it. Just worry about yourself trying to get something and do the best you can. That's all. You can't, you can't change other people's lives and change what they've got unless you're going for the same part and you get it instead of them. But worrying about what somebody else is doing, I, I, I mean, I don't even mean it in a negative. It's almost like, just don't worry about it. Just go and go about your own life. Try and help people. and You'll be happier. It's it's hard to convince people of that. It's, no, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard because human nature says to go to go. Why 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 not me? We all we all have that selfishness, and and it, you, you. I don't know if it's entirely wrong. It's the drive that can get you somewhere. Um, it's it's, it's the drive you, that it's the drive that got us lift from taxis. Right, taxis sucked, and if we were in any kind of other economic structure. There would be no incentive if you made, we all made $31,000 a year, whether you were a doctor or you were a landscaper, you made $31,000 a year, 39. What capitalism incentivizes you to say, I'm tired of calling a dispatcher to send a cab. I don't know if it's coming or not. If it does show, the cab stinks. The guy's driving me around, running the meter up. He drops me off. And, you know, it's, you know, it's just an all-around terrible experience. How can I capitalize on this? Oh, how about using your phone and knowing where your car is? And so I would think, you know, in a, in a weird way, a lot of the things that we look at is evil is capitalism sometimes gets that, that thing greed and you think wall street and gimme, gimme, gimme that same capitalism is something that we, we now we enjoy things of because of capitalism, because I don't think people would do anything if we weren't incentivized to, if you knew that you and I were going to get the same house with the same front lawn, the same swing set in the back, the same uh, Ford focus in the driveway, why? What? Well, who cares? Yeah. Well, Why there are some people to... that would be happy with that. I think there are some people that are content that way, and that's fair for them. But but there are there is something to drive and innovation. I believe just like you do. Um, and the, here's the thing: if you it, maybe you can't get exactly that, but I know people who are very happy living pretty minimalistic. And I just yes. wouldn't be. I like I like good things. I don't like the amazing. I, I mean, I probably would like the amazing things, but I'm incredibly cheap. At, I can spend money <laughs> and be incredibly cheap at the same time. I don't understand how that works, but it does. And um, I remember my dad, when it was probably from my dad, there's guilt there. My dad would t- take us to the store and we'd take us to the t- to toy store, Toys R Us. He'd be like, get one. I'm like, dad, they're wrestlers. I need two. They're thumb wrestlers. I want to put one on each thumb. I don't want to have guy doing shadow thumb wrestling. That doesn't. And he always says, just get one. Just get just. It was always get one of everything. Um, all right. Well, this has been a really great pre Super Bowl episode. Uh, which is I, think so. I thought this was great. I it wasn't where I thought we were going to go at all. Um, but I, and this is actually one of this is the kind of show I was actually dreaming of from the beginning of what we could talk about um, but in your dreams my shirt's off uh half half it's a half shirt <laughs> a little crop toppy I, I don't want to tell you which half is <laughs> uh, it's just a side 
So, um, with all that said, we did talk Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, Maroon Five um, might become the Burgundy Three or something. Like that. So, this is actually the end of the show. We, I want to let people in. We actually did something. We did a little talk about the Super Bowl, which we're making a mini pod about it. We cut it out of our show just now, and it's going uh, to be its own little feature. So this is the end of the show. AlanFrank.com. Subscribe. We'll get, uh, we'll, we're, like I said at the beginning of the show, we're getting a bunch of more social media, uh, more active in the social media world, getting more of your topics and opinions involved in what we are talking about. I can't wait to see Terry edit this together because it's, it's a mess of the last couple yes. minutes, but we're going to try. So... Uh, yeah, so we will see you, uh, or I'll see you for real. I'll talk to you next week, but for some people, I'll be talking to you on the Super Bowl thing, which probably comes out the next day. That's right. Uh, this is like in those superhero movies when they break the space-time continuum, and you, <laughs> you, you really, back to the future when there's a Three second. different realms. Uh, yes. Yeah, there's another universe, and that's, oh, no. <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> All right.